Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. Lord, I love that second song that we sang. What was the name of that song? Here again, I think that may be our theme song for 2021. I love that song. Matter of fact, in time of of communion um, at the end of service, uh, I think we're going to sing that one again, just spend some time in the presence of the Lord. I don't have a long message for us today, and that's, I'm not trying to make a statement or a promise I can't keep. The reality of it is today is I want to introduce you to a thought that God has laid on my heart uh, that I think is timely for, for, I think, for the world in particular, but definitely for this church. I don't, I, don't, um, I don't pretend to know everything. I don't pretend to be the most um, knowledgeable theologian, if you would. Uh, what I do promise you is that I'm going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say whatever the Holy Spirit uh, empowers me or, or enlightens me or encourages me to say. And the reason for that is because I believe that God has called me to this church. I have finished 11 years of wonderful ministry. I've almost been here longer than any place of tenure in my life. And, and I used to say I did some of my best ministry um, at the previous place uh, that I was ministering because I worked with children and I did work with adults. And, and God did some great things through me at that other church. But God led me to here. And I can look back on my life as where I have fewer days ahead of me than, than behind me for, by all means. I'm not old, but I realize that, that if I live to be 80, I still have fewer days ahead of me than behind me. I'm 54 years old, and I feel like I'm still in the prime of my ministry. I struggled with that this past year. I struggled with all, as all of us have in different areas of life, with the stresses of what this worldwide pandemic, everything from the election to people being, all that has come from 2020, it really makes you challenge yourself. At least it did me. And it's like, Lord, what, what is the meaning of all of this? What is the meaning of life? And it, it has caused me to really go back and really get back to the basics of what being a Christian, being a follower of God is all about. And it's brought me to, I believe, God-led to this subject matter today. And, and we're going to be looking at altered lives. Altered lives. We're going to be looking for the next four weeks, if not longer. It may go longer. I don't even have four messages laid out. I have, I have one as of today. But as, our, as we begin our 21-day fast today, maybe you don't remember that. I hope you've been praying about it. But today we begin our 21-day fast. That doesn't mean that we go without food for 21 days. I've left that up to you as what God has led you. But I'm asking all that call Bear Creek home, those even following online that aren't able to be here in person, Today, uh, on, on January the 3rd, this first Sunday of a new year, I want us together to, to embark on this journey of giving up, whether it's a meal, whether it's, it's giving up carbs. I know a lot of people give up carbs. Lord knows that here in the United States, we need to give up sugar. <laughs> it's going to be tough. Whether you do a Daniel fast, 
Whatever it might be that God leads you to give up, I want you to give it up as a sacrifice to the Lord, as a sacrifice of worship. But then I need you to make sure that you spend time in prayer. You spend time in the Word. If all you're doing is giving something up, then you're dieting. And, and I don't want you to be dieting. I don't, this isn't about weight loss. This is about losing, losing the things of this world. It's about focusing on the Lord and making time with Him. And I hope it becomes a habit. I hope it becomes habitual so that it becomes a daily part of your life. Because the reality is, last year in 2020, we all started out with, with we call them resolutions or things that we promised we're going to be better about. We're going to exercise more. We're going to eat less. We're going to get closer to the Lord. It seems like every believer in Christ makes that proclamation at the beginning of a new year. I want to be closer to the Lord. And the reality is, we start off really strong, but we kind of fade. What I want to happen is I don't want this fast to be 21 days and then we go back to normal. Then, then what have we done? What have we, what, what have we done? What I want us to do is I want this year to be life-changing, life-transforming for you. And so we're going to be looking at altered lives. We're going to be looking at the altars. And I want to encourage you. If you can, we're still going to do online prayer from 6 to 6.30 for those who follow me online. But if you can physically be here for the next couple of Monday nights, I encourage you. I implore you. Matter of fact, I, I am charging you. Give an hour on Monday evenings to come together with people of like precious faith and not necessarily ask of the Lord anything, but just spend time in His presence, praying, worshiping Him and who knows what he may do. I think today you're going to see through this beginning of this series that God wants to bless his people. And there is a pattern, if I can say that, to how God wants to bless his people. How he wants to interact with his people. Now you can look around the congregation today and I don't want us to judge the, the atmosphere by numbers. We know the Bible says where two or three are gathered, he's in our midst. We've got that covered. And I don't know about you. But during, when we were singing that second worship song, I just got lost in the Lord. And, I, and I, I simply said, Lord, will you fill me your spirit again? And I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. An anointing fell upon me. I was over there and I was singing. This isn't a brag. I'm not trying to brag or anything. I was singing. I was singing in tongues. I never sounded so good in my life. I think that's probably the only time I sing on key. And I was just lost in that moment with the Lord. And, and, and I want to encourage you today. COVID has hit our church. We can tell that there are people who are, who are sick, who are staying home. Brother Ben today, he, he is well, but Miss Helen fell and she hit her head. And he had her in the merch room this morning. So there's a lot of sickness, a lot of things happening. It's impacted. I'm going to encourage you to do this. Use wisdom. Wear your mask. Hand sanitize. Amen. If you're sick, stay home. But let's don't be discouraged. Let's don't walk in fear. I'm not saying being un, be unwise. I'm just simply saying, listen, we serve a big God. Oh, I got two amens. We serve a big God. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, I believe that he orders the steps of a righteous man or God, a woman or God. And, and we need to walk in that. Not to walk in fear. Walk in wisdom. But we do need to be praying for those that this virus has impacted and it has. It's impacted a lot. And I just want to encourage you with that. And because of that, we can see this morning, even our numbers are down. Uh, it's, it's been 11 years since I've spoken to a congregation of this size in this church. 11 years. 
Um, it doesn't discourage me. You're going to get everything I have today. I promise you that the Lord has for you. But with it, it's impacting. And I want to encourage you just to be open to the voice of the Lord and walk in obedience to Him. Well, this morning, I want you to turn to your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start a journey. Uh, today, we're going to look at altars. The, the, the theme of this message series, as God has laid on my heart, is altered lives, as in A-R, not E-R. Not being all, it is a play on words. Your, your, your life needs to be altered, but not, not in the sense that we think of it, but altered by the altar. And we're going to be looking at altars today. We're going to be looking at their purpose, uh, where they originated, why they exist. And, and really, I, I'm, I'm going to teach probably more than I'm going to preach today. But I want you to be open to what, what the Word tells us today um, in Scriptures. Now, when I say the word altar, immediately your mind goes to a thing, goes to a place. You have a preconceived idea of what an altar is. For some of you, an altar is this furniture that's in the front of this church, this cushioned altar right here in, in front of this church. Uh, and, and, and it might be, a, and you might actually go back to a time where you knelt at an altar in a church and gave your heart to the Lord. Because when I say altar, that really it can mean many different things to a lot of people. I can remember when I was uh, the children's pastor at Callaway and we called our children's ministries Fort Light. And uh, I, I remember that we, we, we moved into the, what used to be the um, city hall, and we made the big meeting room in the, in the, called the family center. In there was Fort Light. That was the Fort Light room. And, man, we had it decked out with sets and lights and black light carpet. It was, but one thing that we lacked was we lacked altars. And I can remember Jim McCusker, uh, which is uh, Miss Jenny uh, Doula's, her, um, her grandfather, he, I talked to him, and he made me some altars. He went and got some wood, and he made altars. And when I think of altars, I remember those because I can remember when we put them in there. It, it was almost it was like candy to kids to a candy shop because those kids every Sunday, without even having to be told, would flock to those altars. It was amazing. It was like a magnet. And, I, and it just amazed me. I was talking to Brother Jim just the other day, a couple of weeks ago actually now, and we were talking about altars. It was a Monday night during prayer, right after prayer. And he was reminiscing how as a child, as a young child, he helped his dad make the altars, I believe he said, at Trinity Methodist Church in Millville. And he can remember and the, the details he gave me, how the length of them and how they had the communion cup holders in the Methodist church for when you took communion. And it had a kneeling area that you could kneel. You weren't, knees weren't on the ground. And he said, and when, then it had a flap that went over it to cover up the holes. When you weren't, you, it said, all this detail. He, we talking about altars. That was his memory of an altar. See, it could be any of these. For others, it could be your bedside. See, an altar can be a bedside. It could be your couch. Anything that you may kneel at every morning. It may be on your front porch as you're spending time with the Lord and you have your cup of coffee and you have your word or you have your worship music. That, that to you might be your idea of an altar. But today I want to look at where did the idea of an altar come from? And as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to come across time after time where people made altars. Noah made an altar. We're going to look at that in just a little while. Abraham made several altars when he, when he completed the covenant with the Lord or when the Lord led him somewhere and, and showed up in different places. He built it. Moses built an altar. Aaron built 
an altar. Gideon built an altar. Joshua built an altar. Even Samuel built an altar. King Saul built an altar. We all know about one of the most famous altars in the Old Testament. Elijah built an altar. I hope God allows us to, to look at that here in the next week or so because it's a powerful imagery of what God wants to do at an altar. We also know the Jews when they returned from uh, Babylonian captivity. They didn't rebuild the city first. They first built the temple, but most importantly, they rebuilt the altar. And we know from prophecy that before the Lord can return, Israel once again will rebuild the temple. But it's not about the temple as much as it's about the altar and the Holy of Holies where God shows up, see. If you study altars, what you would find is that every time someone made an altar... I want you to get this, grasp this thought today. Every time someone made an altar, it caused God to show up. You want God to show up in your life? I'm getting way ahead of me. Maybe you need to make an altar. Because every time someone made an altar, God would show up. They were most important. And get this, altars were God's idea. It wasn't man's idea. God instructed the Israelites through Moses to build the altar on which sacrifice would be placed. This is where we're at, Exodus chapter 20, 24. It says, an altar of earth you shall make. Who are we to make it for? I don't have scriptures on the board today, I know. But if you're following with me, it says, an altar of earth you shall make for me, God says. To make it for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will what? I will come to you, God says, when you build me an altar, when you build me an altar and you place your sacrifice on it, what will I do? He says, I will come to you and guess what I will do to you? I will bless you. Where at? At an altar. At an altar. God was very specific. The first altars were made from either dirt or uncut stone and were set on a high place or a hill to represent the highest place. If you own property, you would make your altar on the highest part of your property. See? As a representative closeness to God. Above God is above everything in your life and everything you own, see? The person would build it and then light a fire to consume the sacrifice. And what we have to understand is we're going to look at this in the weeks to come. Fire is very important when you have an altar. Fire is very important when you have an altar. The first altar mentioned in the Bible is one Noah built uh, right after the flood over in Genesis 8.20. What's interesting is if you're joining me on reading through the Bible through the app that we're using, the version. And, uh, and the 365-day, you own it, read it through. It's, it's on our website or on our Facebook page, or you can get with Miss Jenny. What's interesting is if today, January 3rd, if you're reading, we were in Genesis chapter 8, and this was part of our reading plan today as I read it this morning. And it's powerful. It says in Genesis 8, 20, then Noah, this is after the flood, the waters receded. He's been in this boat for a very long time with his family. Don't know how he did it. The animals, I think I could put up with the animals a little bit more than my family. I just came off vacation with my family. Five days locked up in a truck is way too long to be traveling with anyone's family. I don't care who they are, right? Come on. 
But they just got God, they've opened the door, and the first thing we see Noah does in verse 20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the on the altar. It was an altar of offering of what? Thanksgiving to the Lord. Why? Because God had spared their lives, first of all, by imploring Noah to build this ark. God provided them everything they needed while they was on the ark. Not only did they survive the flood, but then the waters receded. Now they're on dry ground. It's like, Lord, you are faithful. So it was an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. And if you continue reading, you will see that the Lord was very pleased with the altar and with the sacrifice that Noah made. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to sign it with a bow, rainbow. I'm never going to destroy the earth again with water. I know yesterday I was beginning to wonder if we didn't need to start loading up the ark again with all the rain we had. I'm glad that the bridge isn't overflowed with water. We've seen that in last year, but we didn't. But you know what? I never worried about God flooding this earth completely yesterday. We may have floods here and there, and we have devastating floods at times. But God said, hey, I'm very pleased with the offering that you've made up on this altar God showed up and blessed them and signed the covenant with a bow in the sky. With the instructions given to Moses on building of the tabernacle, we find that God is specific again when it comes to the altar. The brazen or the bronze altar was to be a certain shape and have a specific place within the temple. Now, I did a very thorough teaching and preaching a couple years ago in our New Year's series, if you remember right, about this. And I'm not going to rehash it. But basically, when the first thing after you walked into the, the tabernacle area, the first thing you would see would be the, the bronze or the brazen altar. And God said, this is the first thing I want in my temple as you walk in in my place of tabernacle where I'm going to dwell with you. The first thing I want is what? He says, I want an altar. Be the first thing you encountered. Later, when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, the bronze altar remained in the same spot. So Solomon came along and built the permanent temple. And it was laid out the same way. By the way, here's an interesting study for you. In heaven, we're told that the temple here on earth is, is reflective of what the throne room of God looks like. So even in the throne room of God in heaven, there is an altar. And if you look in Revelation, you find out that the prayers of, the, of, of those who are being tortured here on earth are kept in, in, in a basin where? At the altar in the presence of the Lord. See, the altar is very important to God. It's very important to God. When the work of constructing both the tabernacle and Solomon's temple was finally completed... And God's specific instruction had been followed by the priests and the people regarding the burnt offering. God's glory came and filled the tabernacle and filled the temple and his fire fell and it consumed that sacrifice that was placed there. I want you to get this. When they followed the instructions of the Lord and they built it according to his specifications, his building code in that altar and they put a, 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 a sacrifice on it. It says that the glory of the Lord filled it to the place to where even the priest could not minister in the temple and God sent fire from heaven that consumed, that lit that altar. See, and that, and that fire, this is a message for another time, but that fire was never to be extinguished. 
And you was never to use, use man-made fire in that place either. It had to be provided by God. It was never to be extinguished. It, it, during the tabernacle days when they moved, they were to carry that fire from the altar with them to keep it burning because it was the fire of God. It wasn't the fire of man. See, 2 Chronicles 7, 1, 3, just to confirm it for you. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord, can you imagine if you showed up on Sunday morning and the glory of God filled this place so much that you could not enter this building? Why can't that happen today? Maybe it's because we're not putting a sacrifice on the altar. Maybe it's because we're no longer building altars to the Lord. We're no longer encountering the Lord, encountering Him like, like we ought to be because we're not having altars in our lives. See, When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The glory of God is around the altar. There was another altar, and I'm getting ready to finish this history lesson. I'm just setting down the foundation for you today of the importance of the altar, the purpose of the altar. We see in the tabernacle uh, or the temple uh, that there, there was another altar. Just, uh, just like the brazen altar, the brazen altar, it was built with a specific pattern and purpose. But it's placed in the holy place just before you would enter the veil. If you're not familiar with the layout of the temple, you would enter the courts, as we say, enter the courts with praise. Enter, you'd walk into the, into the temple area, and there would be the brazen altar. And from there, you, you'd see the basin, and then you'd go into the holy place. And there, you'd have the, the table of showbread of fellowship. You'd have the candles, uh, candle uh, opera in there. And then there would be this altar of incense. And, and beyond the altar of incense would be this big, huge veil. And beyond the veil was the holy of the holy. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And once a year, the priest would enter into that room and, 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 and pray, make sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And God would show up in that room. His glory would show up. Well, before you went in there, there was this, this altar of incense. And they would the same fire that was on the brazen altar would be the fire that would be burning in this altar of incense. And they would put incense and the, the, the cloud would go up and the, and the room would fill with this aroma. And, and God would enter. The, it, it's just... It's a beautiful picture of worship. Worship, fellowship with God. See, and that's what this altar is all about. Worship, raising the sweet aroma of praise to the Lord. But this is a great history lesson, Pastor. Wow, it's great to know that God was behind the altar and how it, it played the role in the Old Testament. But what does that do for us today? Well, see, God has done away with the ceremonial sacrifice of bulls and lambs. There's no doubt about it. God has done away with that. Jesus became that ultimate lamb. So we no longer have to worry about sacrificing animals to the Lord for the remission of our sin. Jesus was ultimately the, the, the sacrifice to end that. But God didn't do away with the altar. Matter of fact, I can say that the greatest altar is not the altar in the temple, it's not the brazen or the altar of incense. The greatest altar God ever created or commanded man to create is the cross. The cross is the altar with which the perfect lamb, he, he sacrificed his life for all sin. See, 
We may, we may not have to, to sacrifice animals anymore, but God did not do away with the idea that we need an altar in our lives. It's still a place of relationship between God and man, see? That's what the altar's about, relationship, see? It, 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 it is the only way to have a relationship with God. When Jesus was laid upon the greatest altar of all time, that sacrifice allowed us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that altar still exists today. See, we don't worship the cross. See, we don't worship the cross. You ever do a history on, on church furniture? Each, each denomination has different ways of doing it. But from our perspective, just kneeling at the altar, which really is kneeling where? The word goes forth. The word, this represents the desk of God. The word goes forth. You're in the congregation. As the word goes forth, it accomplishes that which is set out to do. It pricks your heart. It convicts you. Not condemned, but it convicts you. And then from there, you respond by what? You come to the altar of the cross. You kneel here, and you meet Jesus. You fellowship with Jesus, see? That's the reason I, I don't do this for show, but often when I'm worshiping the Lord, of course, I have a very short walk, I, I move from my place of seating and I come to the altar because it's a place of fellowship. It's a place of encountering the Lord. See? That's, that's what God created it for. What I find interesting is that when you take up your cross and you follow Jesus as we're commanded to do, then the altar goes from being a thing. See, what we have to realize is the altar is no longer a piece of furniture. See? It goes from being a thing to being a place. The altar is no longer a thing. These are representative of altars. Absolutely. That's representative of the cross. Absolutely. But we know that's not the cross that Jesus hung on. It's representative. So it goes from being a thing. We don't, we don't worship this cross. We don't worship the cross that Jesus was actually nailed to if it still existed today. We don't worship these altars. But what happens is it goes from being a place, I mean a thing, to being a place. It becomes an atmosphere. It becomes a place that we go to emotionally and spiritually. It can be a place. It can be on your front porch in the morning as you read your word and drink your coffee and spend time. It can be, but it could also be right there at your bedside as you're kneeling. Or it could be in your, in, in your living room as you're kneeling at your seat there or as you're sitting in your lounge chair. It's wherever you make that place to be of encounter with Jesus, see? Because he wants that. See? When you become a follower of Jesus, you tabernacle with God through the Holy Spirit. In other words, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians tells us that, 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? See? The need for an altar didn't change, just the temple location changed. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. See? See? Do you see, see how God took the physical outward and now it's, it becomes you are the temple? You are where the Spirit of God should dwell. You are the holies of holies. But you know as well as I do that you don't feel that holy of holy presence all the time. Why? The only time you usually do it is when you take time at an altar, wherever that altar may be. In other words, it's when you take and you sacrifice your time. You sacrifice what you want to do and you spend time. Why does the Holy Spirit show up the way he does here on Sunday mornings? He doesn't live in this building. He lives.
lives in this building. He lives in that building. But why? It's because you have taken time to come together with people of like precious faith. And we lift up our voices. We make a place uh, of communing with the Lord. We, have, we look at this and we have made time. We have made an altar today in the presence of the Lord. And God says, when you do that for me, when you take time and you build an altar, you spend time and you put the sacrifice of your time, your desires, your dreams, what you want to do, I show up and I'm well pleased with that. See, it only happens when we come to the altar, when we make the altar. It's not a deep spiritual thing. God is not, God's ways are definitely not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. But guess what? He dumbs it down for this old country boy. It's not complicated. The word of God is not complicated. He simply says, make time for me. And I think God's a morning person as much as I'm not. I think God wants us the first thing in the morning to make an altar, a place of what? Encounter. A place of encounter. He says, you build it. You build it the way I tell you to build it. Right? Don't bring false fire to it. Let my fire light it. Matter of fact, I can say this. The New Testament says, fan the, fan the flame. He's got it. If you have an altar of any kind, there's a flame. You just got to fan it. And God says, when you do that, see, I show up. I show up. God can show up every day in your life like he does here on Sunday mornings. If you'll just make an altar. The altar of thanksgiving, sacrifice, worship, relationship didn't move. It's still in the temple and it's still as important today as it's ever been because it's still a place of relationship with the Lord. And I kind of hit this, but let me just, just so it all kind of comes together, and then we'll have a time here at the altar. Jesus became that ultimate sacrifice as I've made, I've already stated, but there's still a sacrifice that's needed. Not a sacrifice for the remission of your sin, because Jesus died once and for all. But Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your bodies. Present who you are. Present everything about you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, Paul isn't suggesting that Christ's sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough for salvation. He's just saying for you to maintain a close relationship with God, you have to keep coming to the altar, and you have to lay your time, your dreams, what you want to do with your life, your family, your job, your ministry, everything that you are, you have to, you lay it on the altar, say, Lord, your will be done. You do that every day. I do it every day. I did it this morning. I always pray, Father, let your will be done today in my life. Lord, if I get to preach, it's a blessing. But if I don't, it's a greater blessing because that means you have taken over. But if I do get to preach, then Father, let your anointing be upon me. See, let your will be done. I do that every day, not just on Sundays. Let your will be done. See, you stop living your life for you. You start living your life for him. I'll be honest with you, church. I'm not going to say I'm perfect. You know I'm not perfect. I'm not going to say I'm sinless. Because I know, I know I'm not. But the things that many people in the Christian church struggle with, they struggle with because they don't make an altar. 
I want you to hear me this for a minute, okay? It's because they don't make an altar. I realize I can't do what I do without spending time with the Lord. But can I tell you it's the same thing for you? You can't teach. You can't work wherever you work and, 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 get, and, and, and be the positive impact you want to be on your family, with your coworkers, your friends, if you don't spend time. Sin is, not, sin is a problem for me just like it is for you, but I don't struggle with those areas that other people do because why? I lay everything down on the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord, and I don't want to do anything to offend Him. See, I can tell you this much. When I don't spend time in the altar, when I don't make my altar, and I don't spend that personal time with the Lord on a daily basis. Can I tell you? Just like, just like God told Cain, sin is crouching around the corner. It's ready to consume you. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. It's only through that time with the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit through my altar time. He says, you build it. I'll come. You build it. I'm gonna, I'm going to, you're going to encounter me. And I'm going to bless you. See? See, the altar has always been the place God has used to bring life out of death. When you sacrifice your desires, you die to self, as Paul says. God shows up and brings life. The altar has always been a place of salvation and revival as well. When we spend time in the altar, God, that's where we're saved initially, but it's also where God revives our spirit. Revives our spirit. So worship team comes back. I'm told this morning I didn't want to be long. It's more of an introduction, but I wanted to give that food for thought today. See, the Bible is based on one thing. I want you to grasp this. This is one way to put it, but I believe this is very accurate. It's based on one thing. God desires to know us in a real, intimate, and powerful way. God wants to know us in an intimate, in a powerful, in a real way. Or maybe a better way to put it is this. God wants us to know him. In reality, God knows us. But he says, this is an opportunity when you built an altar, you can, I'm going to come and I'm going to tabernacle with you. I'm going to commune with you. And you're going to get to know me in a real, in a powerful, in an intimate way. The only way that could take place is with an altar. It begins first with kneeling at the altar for salvation and receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And today, if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to let this be your day. It's the first Sunday of a new year. What a better way to start off this new year. This is, this, is the first, this is the first day. I know this is hard to understand because our, our weeks start on Sunday. So this is the first day of the first week of this new year. Wow. I know it's the third day, but it's the first day. First day of the first week. What better way to begin it than to lay, your, lay everything you are at the altar and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning, that's you. I want to invite you to these altars. But can I also say this? If you are saved, it's also at the altar of, that you encounter God. And you know that. I want for the next 21 days and we're going to seal it with communion in just a moment. This is a part of our worship this morning as you reflect. I want you to begin this journey with me for 21 days. And I want you to promise me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I promise, Pastor, every morning. 
but I want you to make, and you can do it just for 21 days if that's all, but I want you to make a covenant with yourself and the Lord. Covenant. And you're going to seal this covenant with the covenant that he gave us in his blood. What's represented by the, 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 the wafer and, and the, the juice, his blood and his body. And as we take it, I want you to covenant with the Lord that for the next 21 days, every day, you're going to make an altar somewhere in your life. If you can kneel, I think, I think kneeling is a, a great thing to do because let me ask you this. Can I be honest with you? I have a hard time kneeling, not because my body hurts, although that's true. My knees pop every time I do it. That's really not the issue. Kneeling is a humbling thing. Sometimes we don't want to kneel because we really don't want to humble ourselves. And I can't tell you that kneeling is a biblical thing. Nowhere in it does it say that you kneel at the altar. You with me? But I can't show you in the Bible where it says when the power of God shows up, you fall on your face before the Lord. That's even more humbling than kneeling, isn't it? See, it's about a condition of the heart. It's not a religious thing. I think one day when we do get to heaven, whether by the grave or by the rapture, I think we're going to look back on our lives. And I could be wrong with this. This is just my thoughts about God and my relationship. I think he's going to allow us to look back. Or maybe he'll allow me because I expect it. And he's going to let me look back and see how much I really missed things. How much I missed the mark on things when it comes to my relationship with him. See, what I'm doing right here is not the most important thing. The most important thing is spending time with him. God created us for fellowship. Relationship that goes beyond the initial kneeling at the cross. Can you remember the day you received Christ as Lord and Savior? Can you remember that day when you encountered the living Savior? What, the way you felt, the thoughts that went through your mind, that freshness, that excitement, that zeal. You can encounter that every time you humble yourself in an altar to the Lord because He shows up. And when He shows up, he blesses you. Yeah, I think God's going to let us look back, at least me, say you really missed it. It wasn't so much about praying for this or praying for that. Because what happens when we kneel at an altar? We usually, first thing we do, God, help me. God, I need. Really, the first thing it should do is should humble you and say, Lord, who am I? I'm but a sinner. And he says, I know. And then from there, you can love him. Because I firmly believe, not going against the New Testament, I firmly believe if we make an altar and we spend time with the Lord, intimate time, if he says I, he knows what I need before I know I need it, and he's promised to provide it, then I don't have to be consumed by my needs. But where does that provision come from? An altar. See? It all goes back to that intimate. I don't have to worry whether my wife, I know this is a bad analogy, she's not here to defend herself, whether my wife is going to, not saying it's all her responsibility, whether she's going to cook or do my laundry, okay? She don't have to worry about me, whether I'm going to put gas in her car or do the maintenance on her car or whether I'm going to put my clothes up after they've been washed. Those aren't, those aren't things she has to worry about. Why? 
She doesn't have to worry about whether I'm going to meet her needs. Or I don't have to worry about whether she's going to meet me. Why? We're in a relationship. It's no difference with God. Matter of fact, it's based on the same principle. It was first a God principle. Make time. Make time. Make an altar. You can present your needs, but first, spend time with the one who gave you life. The one who gave his all for you on the cross. And love on him. And he says, when you do that, Exodus, when you build an altar out of your hands, out of who you are, you put a sacrifice on it. You fan that flame. He says, I'm going to show up. And I'm going to bless you. I want to encourage you this morning. For the next 21 days, covenant with God and yourself and make an altar. I hope it becomes a habit for you. I think as we look at the altars that are in the Bible, we break down what happened in those situations. I think you're going to see the benefit of having an altar in your life every day. Amen. We're going to take a few moments here to worship.